chapter 4 of Herbs and Stewed Rabbit. For a few hours of daylight that they were left, they rested, shifting into the shade as the sun moved, until at last the shadow of the western rim of the dell grew long, and darkness filled all the hollow. Then they ate a little, and drank sparingly. Gollum ate nothing, but he accepted water gladly. Soon get more now, he said, licking his lips. Good water run downs and streams to the great river. Nice water in the lands we're going to. Schmeagel will get food there too, perhaps. He is very hungry. Yes, go! He set his two large flat hands on the shrunken belly, and a pale green light came into his eyes. The dusk was deep when at length they set out, creeping out over the westward rim of the dell fading like ghosts into the broken country on the borders of the road. The moon was now three nights from the full, but it did not climb over the mountains until nearly midnight, and the early night was very dark. A single red light burned high upon the towers of the teeth, but otherwise no sign could be seen or heard of the sleepless watch on the Moranon. For many miles the red eye seemed to stare at them as they fled, stumbling through a barren, stony country. They did not dare to take the road, but they kept it on their left, following its line as well as they could at little distance. At last, when night was growing old and they were already weary, for they had only taken one short rest, the eye dwindled to a small fiery point and then vanished. They had turned the dark northern shoulder of the lower mountains were heading southwards now. With hearts strangely lightened, they now rested again, but not for long. They were not going quick enough for Gollum. By his reckoning, it was nearly thirty leagues from Moranin to the crossroads above Oskarlath, and he hoped to cover that distance in four journeys. So soon they struggled on once more, until the dawn began to spread slowly in the wide grey solitude. They had then walked almost eight leagues, and the hobbits could not have gone any further, even if they had tried. The growing light revealed to them a land already less barren and ruinous. The mountains still loomed up ominously on their left, but near at hand they could see the southward road, now bearing away from the black roots of the hills and slanting westward. Beyond it were slopes covered with sombre trees like dark clouds, but all about them lay a tumbled heathland, grown with ling and broom and cornel and other shrubs that they did not know. Here and there they saw knots of tall pine trees. The hearts of the hobbits rose again in little, despite the weariness. The air was fresh and fragrant, and it reminded them of the uplands of North Farthing far away. It seemed good to be reprieved, to walk in a land that had not only been that had only been for a few years under the dominion of the Dark Lord, and not yet fallen wholly to decay. But they did not forget their danger nor the black gate that was still all too near, hidden though it was behind the gloomy heights. They looked about for a hiding place where they could shelter from evil while the light lasted. The day passed uneasily. They lay deep in the heather and counted out the slow hours, in which there seemed little change, for they were still under the shadows of the Ethel Duath, and the sun was veiled. Frodo slept at times, deeply and peacefully, either trusting Gollum or too tired to trouble about him. But Sam found it difficult to do much more than doze, even when Gollum was plainly fast asleep, whiffly and twitching in his secret dreams.
Hunger, perhaps more than mistrust, kept him wakeful. He began to long for a good homely meal, for something hot out of the pot. As soon as the land faded into formless grey under coming night, they started out again. In a little while, Gollum led them down the southward road, and after that they went on more quickly, though the danger was greater. Their ears were strained for the sound of hoof or foot on the road ahead, or following them from behind, but the night passed and they heard no sound of walker or rider. The road had been made in a long lost time, and for perhaps thirty miles below the Moranon it had been newly repaired, but as it went south, the wild encroached upon it. The handiwork of men of old could still be seen in its straight, sure flight and level course. Now and again it cut its way through the hillside slopes, or leaped over a stream upon a widely shaped arch of enduring masonry. But at last all signs of stonework faded, save for a broken pillar here and there, peering out of bushes at the side or old paving stones still lurking amid weeds and moss. Heather and trees and broken bracken scrambled down and overhung the banks, or sprawled out over the surface. It dwindled at last to a country cart road little used, but did not wind. It held its own shore course and guided them by the swiftest way. So they passed into the northern marches of that land that men once called Lithin, a fair country of climbing woods and swift-falling streams. The night became fine under star and round moon, and seemed to the hobbits that the fragrance of the air grew as they went forward, and from the blowing and muttering of Gollum it seemed that he noticed it too, and didn't relish it. At first the signs of day, so at the first sign of day they halted again. They had come to the end of a long cutting, deep and sheer-sided in the middle, by which the road clove its way through a stony ridge. Now they climbed up the westward bank and looked around. Day was opening in the sky, and they saw that the mountains were now much further off, receding eastwards in a long curve that was lost in the distance. Before them, as they turned west, gentle slopes ran down into dim hazes far below. All about them were small woods of resinous trees, fir and cedar and cypress, and other kinds unknown in the shire, with wide glades amongst them, and everywhere there was a wealth of sweet-smelling herbs and shrubs. The long journey from Rivendell had brought them far south of their own land, but not until now in this more sheltered region had the hobbits felt the change of clime. Here's spring was already busy about them. Fronds pierced moss and mould. Larches were green-fingered. Small flowers were opening in the turf. Birds were singing. Ithilin, the garden of Gondor, now desolate, kept still a dishevelled dryad loveliness. South and west it looked towards the warm lower vales of Anduin, sheltered from the east by Ephilduath, and yet not under the mountain shadow, protected from the north by Emmanuel, open to the southern ears and the moist winds from sea far away. Many great trees grew there, planted long ago, falling into an untended age amid a riot of careless descendants, and groves and thickets there were a tamarisk and pungent tebranth, of olive and of bay, and there were junipers and myrtles, and thymes that grew in the bushes, or with their woody creeping stems mantled into deep tapestries, the hidden stones, sages of many kinds putting forth parsleys, and many herbs of forms and scents beyond the garden lore of Sam. The grots and rocky walls were already starting, starred with stav- frags, stack, saxifrags 
and stone crops. Primrolls and anemones were awake in the filibert brakes, and asphodel and many lilied flower nodded their half-open heads in the grass. Deep green grass beside the pools, where falling streams halted in cool hollows on their journey down to Anduin. The travellers turned their backs on the road and went downhill. As they walked, brushing their way through bush and herb, sweet odours rose about them. Gollum coughed and retched, but the hobbits breathed deep, and suddenly Sam laughed. For heart's ease is not for Jess. They followed a stream that went quickly down before them. Presently it brought them to a small clear lake in a shallow dell. It lay in the broken ruins of an ancient stone basin, the carven rim of which was almost wholly covered with mosses and rose brambles. Iris swords stood in ranks about it, and water lily leaves floated in its dark, gently rippling surface. But it was deep and fresh, and spilled ever softly out of a stony lip at the far end. Here they washed themselves and drank their fill in the infilling freshet. Then they sought for a resting place, and a hiding place, for this land, fair-seeming still, was nonetheless now a territory of the enemy. They had not come very far from the road, and yet even in so short a space they had seen scars of the old wars, and the newer wounds made by orcs and other foul servants of the Dark Lord. A pit of uncovered filth and refuse, trees hewn down wantonly and left to die, with evil runes or the foul sign of the eye, cut in rude strokes on their bark. Sam scrambling below the outfall of the lake, smelling and touching the unfamiliar plants and trees, forgetful of the moment of Mordor, was reminded suddenly of their ever-present peril. He stumbled on a ring still scorched by fire, and in the midst of it he found a pile of charred and broken bones and skulls. The swift growth of the wild with the briar and the eglantine and trailing calamitous was already drawing a veil over this place, this place of dreadful feast and slaughter. But it was not ancient. He hurried back to his companions and said nothing. The bones were left le best left in peace and not poured and routed about by Gollum. Let's find a place to lie up in, he said, not lower down, higher up for me. A little way back above the lake they found a deep brown bed of last year's fern. Beyond it was a thicket of dark leaves, bay trees, climbing up a steep bank that was crowned with old cedars. Here they decided to rest and pass the day, which already promised to be bright and warm. A good day for strolling on their way to the groves and glades of Ithilien. But though orcs may shun the sunlight, there are too many places here where they could lie and hid and watch, and other evils were aboard. Sauron had many servants. Gollum, in any case, will not move under the yellow face. Soon it would look over the dark ridges of Ethel to Earth, and he would faint and cower in the heat and the light. Sam had been giving earnest thought to food as they marched. Now that the despair of the impassable gate was behind him, he did not feel so inclined as his master to take no thought for their livelihood beyond the end of the errand. And anyway, it seemed wiser to him to save the waybread of the elves for worse times ahead. Six days or more had passed since they reckoned they had earned a bear supply for three weeks. If we reach the fire in that time, we'll be lucky at this rate, he thought. And we, we might be wanting to get back. We might. Besides, at the end of the long night march and after bathing and drinking, he felt even more hungry than usual. A supper or a breakfast by the fire in the old kitchen at Bagshot Row 
was what he really wanted. An idea struck him and he turned to Gollum. Gollum had just begun to sneak off on his own and he was crawling away on all fours through the fern. Hi Gollum, said Sam. Where are you going? Hunting? Well see here, old noser, you don't like our food. And I'd not be sorry for a change myself. Your new motto is always ready to help. Could you find anything fit for a hungry hobbit? Well, yes, yes, perhaps, yes, said Gollum. Schmeagel always helps, if they asks, if they asks nicely. All right, said Sam, I does ask. And if that isn't nice enough, I begs. Gollum disappeared. He was away some time, and Frodo, after a few mouthfuls of limber, settled into a deep brown fern and went to sleep. Sam looked at him. The early daylight was only just creeping down on the shadows under the trees, but he saw his master's face very clearly, and his hands too, lying at rest on the ground beside him. He was reminded suddenly of Frodo as he had lain asleep in the house of Elrond after his deadly wound. Then, as he had kept watch, Sam noticed that at times the light seemed to be shining faintly within, but now the light was even clearer and stronger. Frodo's face was peaceful, the marks of fear and care and left it. But it looked old, old and beautiful, as if the chiselling of the shaping years was now revealed in many fine lines that had before been hidden, though the identity of the face had not changed. Not that Sam Gamgee put it that way himself, he shook his head, as if finding words useless and murmured. I love him, he's like that, and sometimes it shines through somehow. But I love him, whether or no. Gollum returned quietly and peered over Sam's shoulder. Looking at Frodo, he shut his eyes and crawled away without a sound. Sam came to, uh, came to him a moment later and found him chewing something and muttering to himself. On the ground beside him lay two small rabbits, which he was beginning to eye greedily. Schmeagel always helps, he said. He has bought rabbits, nice rabbits, but Master has gone to sleep and perhaps Sam wants to sleep. Doesn't want rabbits now? Schmeagel tries to help, but he can't catch things all in a minute. Sam, however, had no objections to rabbit at all and said so. At least not to cooked rabbit. All hobbits, of course, can cook, for they begin to learn the art before their letters, which many never reach. But Sam was a good cook, even by hobbit reckoning, and he had done a good deal of camp cooking on their travels when there was a chance. He still hopefully carried some of the gear in his pack, a small tinderbox, two small shallow pans, the small, smaller fitting into the larger. Inside them a wooden spoon, a short two-pronged fork and some skewers were stowed, and hidden at the bottom of the pack in the flat wooden box a dwindling treasure, some salt. But he needed fire and other things aside. He thought for a bit while he took out his knife, cleaned and whittled it, and began to dress the rabbits. He was not going to leave Frodo alone asleep, even for a few minutes. Now, Gollum, he said, I've got another job for you. Go and fill these pans with water and bring them back. Schmeagel will fetch water, yes, but what does the hobbit want the water for? He has washed, he has had drinking. Never you mind, said Sam. If you can't guess, you'll soon find out. And the sooner you fetch the water, the sooner you'll learn. Don't damage my pans, though, or I'll carve you into mincemeat. While Gollum was away, Sam took another look at Frodo. He was still sleeping quietly, but Sam was now struck most by the leanness of his face and his hands.
Too thin and drawn here, he muttered. Not right for a hobbit. If I can get these conies cooked, I'm going to wake him. Sam gathered a pile of the driest fern and then scrambled up the bank collecting a bundle of twigs and broken wood. The fallen branch of a cedar at the top gave him good supply. He cut out some of the turves at the foot of the bank just inside the fern break and made a sh shallow hole and laid his fuel in it. Being handy with flint and tinder, he soon had a small blaze going. It made little or no smoke but gave off an aromatic scent. He was just stooping over his fire, shielding and building it up with a heavier wood when Gollum returned carrying the pans carefully and grumbling to himself. He set the pans down and suddenly saw what Sam was doing. He gave a thin, hissing shriek, seemed both frightened and angry. Ah, no, he cried. No, silly hobbits is foolish, yes, foolish. They mustn't do it. Mustn't do what? asked Sam in surprise. Not make the nasty red tongues, hissed Gollum. Fire, fire, as dangerous it is, it burns, it kills, and it brings the enemy. Yes, it will. I don't think so, said Sam. I don't see why it should. If you don't put the wet stuff on it and make it smother. But if it does, it does. I'm going to risk it anyhow. I'm going to stew these conies. Stew the rabbits? squealed Gollum in dismay. Spoil beautiful meat, Schmeagle saved you. Poor hungry Schmeagle, what for? What for, silly hobbit? They are young. They are tender. They are nice. Eat them. Eat them. He clawed at the nearest rabbit, already skinned and lying by the fire. Now, now, said Sam, each to his own fashion. Our bread chokes you, and raw coney chokes me. If you give me a coney, the coney's mine, see, to cook, if I have a mind. And I have. You needn't watch me. Go and catch another and eat it as you fancy. Somewhere private and out of my sight. Then you won't see the fire, and I shan't see you, and we'll both be happy. I'll see the fire doesn't turn to smoke, if that's any comfort to you. Gollum withdrew, grumbling, and crawled into the fern. Sam busied himself with his pants. His pans, sorry. What a hobbit needs with a coney, he said to himself, is some herbs and roots, especially taters, not to mention bread. Herbs we can manage, seemingly. Gollum, he called softly. Third time pace for all. I want some herbs. Gollum's head peeped out of the fern, but his looks were neither helpful nor friendly. A few baileys, some thyme and sage will do, before the water boils, said Sam. No, said Gollum. Schmeagle is not pleased. And Schmeagle doesn't like smelly leaves. He doesn't eat grasses or roots, no precious. Not till he's starving or very sick. Poor Schmeagle. Smeagol will get into real, true hot water when this water boils if he doesn't do as he's asked, growled Sam. Sam will put his head in it, yes, precious, and I'll make him look for turnips and carrots and taters too if it's this time of year, or the right time of year. I bet there's all sorts of good things running wild in this country. Oh, I'd give for a dozen taters. Smeagol won't go. Oh no, precious, not this time. He's frightened and he's tired. And this hobbit's not nice, not nice at all. Schmeagel won't grub for roots and carrots and taters. What's taters, precious, eh? What's taters? Po-tay-toes, said Sam. The gaffer's delight and a real good ballast for an empty belly. 
but you won't find any, so you needn't look. But be a good schmeagle and fetch me the herbs, and I'll think better of you. What's more, if you turn over a new leaf and keep it turned, I'll cook you some taters one of these days. I will. Fried fish and chips served by S. Gamgee. You couldn't say no to that. Oh, yes, we could. Spoiling nice fish, scorching it. Give me fish now and keep your nasty chips. Oh, you're hopeless, said Sam. Go to sleep. <laughs>